as I read aloud to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. You may be seated. It it strikes me in verse 22, as he kind of puts some personal notes at the end, he says, I just appreciate you listening to this exhortation, this sermon that I've written to you briefly. I love that. Written to you briefly. Uh, Thirteen chapters, if you were to read it all uh, out loud, it would take you about 48 minutes uh, for for this sermon to be preached. And so I I think uh, maybe if you want to talk about a biblical biblical length of a sermon for a brief sermon, I can make an argument that 48 minutes might be that that brief sermon. Uh, Just, uh, you know, just want to throw that out there uh, for us to consider there. but, uh, you know, that he has a closing word, verse 23, he talks about Timothy. This is the Timothy that Paul talks about uh, more than likely. Uh, it could very well be that when Timothy visited Paul in prison, um, it could very well be that afterwards he himself was placed in prison. But the good news is that he's being released at this point. Uh, and then just a word of greeting that he gives to one another there, verse 24 and 25. Uh, so uh, with that being said, I'd, I'd like for us to look at verse 20 and 21. You know, up to this point, we've talked about this being what faith-born love looks like. We, we see in chapter 11 the emphasis of faith, what this is, the, the seeking a heavenly city to living and seeking Christ versus seeking the world around us. And then chapter 12, how when we're seeking Him, we understand that there will be adversity that we go through and that we should not be discouraged because this is actually a God who works as a father loving His children, allowing things to happen, seeking in them holiness, seeking in them character of of the peaceable fruit of righteousness, that character that God is working in difficult days. And we need to be seeking holiness. We need to be seeking the the peaceable fruit of righteousness in all things that come our way. And then in chapter 13, the idea of faith-born love, of this this love, the brotherly love that we have toward other people and and how this works itself out and, and an unconditional kindness that we that we have toward one another, that we have a, a preciousness of marriage, verse 4, uh, that, that is there, important. You know, we talk about faith and love. This also applies to our spouse, even if we're not yet married, that there is a holding of preciousness, even if our spouse is already dead. We hold marriage precious. Uh, then in verse 5, verse 6, how this faith-born love cannot be reconciled with the love of the world, the love of money. Uh, and how this is, is important to us. Verse 7, how faith-born love is inspired by past leadership, uh, past faith leaders. Uh, and, and you stay true uh, to, to Christ. And now how faith-born love operates not out of what's comfortable, 
We follow our Jesus who went out of the city bearing the reproach. We bear the reproach with him. In other words, we don't live in comfortable zones. We follow Christ and we go to places and to uh, living and ministry that is indeed uncomfortable. Uh, and we, so we learned of this, and, and then we uh, had to skip over the faith-born love listens to present faith leaders. Now, with this, uh, this idea of verse 18 and 19, he says, I want you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? And then he says in verse 20 and 21, let me pray for you. So what you have in verse 20 and verse 21 is a prayer of the Hebrew author uh, to, uh, to the recipients of this. Now, I have learned some wonderful things about Christ as I've studied this. I'm just going to tell you, you listening to what I've been learning is just a bonus. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not really been, uh, as I look back on it, been the main thing for me in sharing with you. It's been good to share with you. But I have learned so much just personally uh, about Christ, about church, about salvation. Um, any pastor that says, yeah, I've got it all together, uh, I've got it figured out, and, and carries that attitude uh, with them, <laughs> I just really wonder uh, about their, their teachability. Uh, and so I've learned a lot uh, through this, and I, I think you've, you've probably gathered that. Let me just share some things uh, that, that we've learned uh, about Christ uh, from, from the beginning. He's going to tell us one more thing here in verse 20 of God of peace. But we've learned that Jesus, in chapter 1, verse 2, is the final word of God in these last days. We've learned, Jesus, that he is the creator of the heavens and earth whom angels worship. I would also add to that that he is the one who outlasts the universe uh, in, as Jesus as our Christ, as our Messiah. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation, or the captain of our salvation, who's made perfect through suffering, and, and he is bringing, restoring many sons to glory. He's working in life. He's working through creation to bring people to be like him. Uh, and I pray that this is a gathering of many right here who are, are being restored to the sons and daughters of glory. That Christ, see, we've learned that he's the one who became flesh, that he might die in our place and free us from the fear of death. He lived a life that we should have lived, but we couldn't. To die a death that really belonged to us so that we wouldn't have to die that death. We've learned that he is the one superior to Moses as the son is superior to a servant. Uh, we've learned that he is the sympathetic high priest who opens the way to the throne of grace. And I don't know how many times I've taken comfort in that and I've shared it with others and say, look, you know what? I don't understand all that you're going through. I can't feel that. I can't understand that. But there is one who does. And he is your, he is your high priest. He is the sympathetic high priest. He is the one who saves for all time those who draw near to God through him. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, then he goes, he says, as the mediator of a new blood-bought covenant to secure that our sins will be forgiven and the law will be brought, be written on our hearts that God will be our God, chapter 8, verse 10 and 12. Jesus is our mediator. He draws us to God. Let me tell you, this building doesn't draw you to God. There's only one mediator. Worship style isn't a mediator. Some folks say, well, you know, I like singing this way because it helps me bring you closer to God. No, no, that's Jesus. Jesus does that, okay? Uh, and so we just need to understand the place there. And so Jesus is our, as our mediator. He is the one who, by his blood, purifies our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God, chapter 9, verse 14. For those of us who are plagued with guilty consciences, Jesus is the answer for that. Uh, as we keep on reading, we see 
And chapter 12, verse 2, he is the pioneer, perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, sat down at the right hand of God, until all his enemies are made a stool for his feet. Chapter 13, verse 12, he's the one who suffered outside the gate that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, he's the one who will never leave us or forsake us, but will help us forever by the power of an indestructible life. I'm just going to tell you, if you have a down day, just go to Hebrews and see what we have in Scripture in Christ. Now, with that thought, let's go on uh, to verse 20. He, in his prayer, in his blessing, he says, let me tell you what else we have. And, and, I, and, and so I want to just share with you six things that's brought out here uh, in this passage, in this prayer of what we have in God. First of all, we have a God of peace. Verse 20, now may the God of peace. All right. Uh, I, I think about this, especially in contrast with chapter 12 uh, in the last verse there. Uh, chapter 12, verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. <laughs> And then chapter 13, verse 20, our God is a God of peace. Now, the difference there is in chapter 12, he's talking to people who are living for things of this world. He says, you need to understand, God is an eliminating God. If you're living for this world, he's going to be a consuming fire that will consume everything that you have, and you'll be left with nothing. But if you live for the unshakable kingdom, if you live for that which is not yet in Christ Jesus, you have a God of peace. There is wholeness that is brought to you. There is a peace. There is a harmony that is found, that is first given to you by the fact that you are bridged with God. And so he talks with us a little bit about how that happens as we keep on going. But I think about how this is, is a comfort to us throughout all the ages. I think about, uh, there's a, a story of Nicholas Ridley, a martyr in 1555. I uh, was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of an everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his need. So when I read this passage, he's talking to Hebrews, he's talking to Jews who will and are going through persecution. He says, you've got a God of peace. You need to understand when you start following Christ and you realize, I don't need all this stuff, and I, you start selling things to get rid of things for the kingdom of God, you start walking this life, there will be temptations to be anxious, uh, to be uneasy. But we need to know that we're following a God who is the God of peace. When life is just difficult and you go to the hospital, you need to know that there is a God of peace that you serve and that is with you. We have a God of peace. But notice as we keep on going, he says, this God of peace who brought you again from the dead, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. We have a death-conquering shepherd. We have a death-conquering shepherd. First of all, the shepherd, the great shepherd. There are under-shepherds. They're called pastors. But... You need to know, I am not the pastor of Green Pines Baptist. Jesus is the great pastor of Green Pines Baptist. He is the shepherd of my soul. And the best thing that I can do as an under-shepherd is to point you to the great shepherd. That is the best thing that I can do for you. Is to say, there is a great shepherd, you need to know him. Let me show you some ways you can know him. 
Let me show you how the gospel works. Let me show you how you can rely on him. Let me give you the comfort. And let, you, let me show you that there is comfort in this great shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, uh, Scripture says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were straying like a shape, like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. See, the fact of the matter is, I have not died for you. I didn't die for you. Uh, you think about the great preachers that we listen to today. They're not dying for you. The best thing they can do is point you to Jesus Christ who did die for you. He is the overseer of your soul, the shepherd of your soul. 1 Peter 5, 4 talks about when he's coming again. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading glory, crown of glory. Some people view the under-shepherds as the one through whom the Holy Spirit works and only the Holy Spirit works. And that if they hadn't had a, a contact with the pastor, then they hadn't had a contact with the church. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. The church is us. It's all together as a community. And as believers in Christ Jesus, we have the Spirit of God working through all of us. When a believer is hurting, it is upon us as a church to minister to them, to encourage them, and to point to them the chief shepherd that is already there with them. As a pastor, I'm going to visit and I'm going to encourage. Not just because I'm a pastor, but more so because I'm a believer, a follower of Christ. Is a description given to us all. And I point them to the chief shepherd. I think about this. Jesus himself referred to them as the chief shepherd. He said, referring to his disciples, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He saw himself as the shepherd. Revelation chapter 7, uh, verse 16 and 17 says, referring to the believers at the time, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In the Old Testament, you've got pictures of, old, of shepherds and you always see their failings. And let me just tell you, every pastor that takes on human form uh, today, they're going to fail you. And we all have failings. In the Old Testament, you see that over and over again. He's just like, look at these guys. You know what? They, they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But it's always given to you as a contrast to the chief shepherd who will never fail. He will never fail. He will always be there to minister to you. He will always have the perfect wisdom to give you what you need, to direct you in the way to come. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the sheep of the day, and he's talking about us. He's talking about us, those who would go ahead. He says, there are other people in the days to come who will follow and will be part of my she- my sheeping. My she- my sheep, I guess. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> sure what to say on that one. Part of my sheep, part of my flock. All right? And so they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, it sounds sweet, doesn't it? A little lamb before the shepherd. Uh, no. <laughs> sheep are dumb. 
they're dirty, they stink. I, I think sheep really flies in the face of, of evolution, uh, the survival of the fittest. Um, sheep, without a shepherd, will not survive. So sheep have always had to be in existence with humans. Because sheep uh, will sit on a, a cliff and just eat all the grass and keep on and, and eat their own waste until they die. Sheep, if someone is walking across a cliff, over the cliff, all the other sheep will follow that other sheep. Sheep, if on their backs, will remain on their backs, filling their legs until they die. And so <laughs> the picture is not really pretty, but the point is that Jesus and God is saying throughout is we need a shepherd. And we will always need a shepherd. We will always need someone to save us. We will always need someone to guide and direct us throughout all time. There will always be a shepherd. And into eternity, in our glorified bodies, without the presence of sin, guess what? We still need a shepherd. He is forever the shepherd. Now, here's the beautiful thing as well. We have not only a death-conquering shepherd, and this is the one that you know that he is sufficient because he conquered death. If he can be raised from the dead by God, can he lead us? All right? That's, that's the credentials. That's the criteria. He can lead us. But we keep on going. We have this, this shepherd that is tied to us by the blood of the eternal covenant. The eternal covenant. The great sheep, the shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. We have an eternal tie to the shepherd. What is this eternal covenant? He, he made reference to this in Hebrews chapter 8. But let me just share some of the passages that he quotes. Jeremiah 32, 4, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. There's the eternal covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I'll put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Hebrews 8, verse 8 through 12, he talks about this eternal covenant. He says he found fault with the old covenant. When he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of the Lord after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, for least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Ezekiel 36, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. All right, here's the idea. The old covenant, if you were to buy it at a store, would say, battery's not included. All right? Here's what it's supposed to do. It gives you beautiful pictures of what would be working, and, and those pictures never quite look like what actually happens. Um, but then it says batteries not included. The new covenant, if purchased, would say batteries are included. There is within this covenant the strength, the power to do what God has called you to do. He is putting a new spirit. And see, the thing is, is that a lot of times we treat the new covenant like the Old Testament. It's, it's just how disciplined we are, how reformed we can be, how good we can be. And we substitute or we don't even consider our heart. The thing is, that's the Old Testament. 
The New Testament is, yes, your heart has been changed. Your want to has changed. Your desires do matter. And God is giving us new desires by the Spirit of God. And so he says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. I, I used this illustration several sermons ago, several times ago. Uh, and I, I want to bring it back to uh, our attention. Uh, it, it was the one where I was taking one of our daughters down the river on a, on a kayak, okay? Uh, nice flooded river. It was good. Um, and... Uh, she may differ with that. But, you know, after two, two or three hours, she just got exhausted and tired. Um, and I was trying to figure out, what do I do with this one, you know? Uh, and, and so the solution was, I'm going to tie this rope to your kayak, and you're just going to follow me, and I'm going to take care of things. And it was a good thing, because we came upon a dam, uh, the old uh, Milburny Dam, that it really wasn't in my mind when I was making this plan. Um, and I was trying to figure, what, what do I do? How do I, <laughs> you know, the dam, you saw the mist coming up, uh, you know. And so what do we do? And, and so we had to find a, a route around that dam uh, in which I was carrying my kayak and her kayak uh, all at the same time, walking around through the woods, getting to this other spot. And I just realized there would be no way that she could do this on her own, that she needed to be tied to me. So... When she was doing this work, it wasn't so she was so focused on getting her paddling, her technique right, so that she could avoid this dam. Uh, that wasn't a concern at all. Her main focus was, hey, are we still tied? Okay, good. It was about being connected to me. All right? As we read this passage, as we read through Hebrews, it's not whether or not we're doing things just right in our, in our perfection and our holiness and our moral excellence and getting all the rules right. But it's simply, let me take my mind, take my heart, and let me focus it on Jesus Christ. Are we tied? Am I connected to Him? Is my heart seeking Him? As long as my heart's seeking Him, then He's going to lead me down the path that's right. And He's going to give me the strength and ability to do that. So the focus for us, even if it's to avoid the damn of God's wrath, is to say, Jesus, I'm tied to you. And the good news here is, as I read this passage, he is praying blessings over them. And he says, look, the God of peace who brought you, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. You get the blessing of that? Eternally, I am tied to Jesus Christ. And the main thing I need to know is, God, I need your help. I'm living life, and I need you as my Savior. I need you as the pioneer of my path. And I can do that. I can do that. And I am eternally tied to now. Now, there's, there's more. Um, we keep on reading. We have this, this God of peace who is the great shepherd of the sheep, conquered death by the blood of the eternal covenant. What is he doing by the blood of the, of the eternal covenant? He's equipping you. With everything good that you may do his will. Wow. We have a God who gives what's needed. Who gives what's needed. Um, this idea of equipping. Another word is furnished. I remember being in college, uh, living, moving off the dorm, going into the apartment. Um, I really didn't have much uh, of, of stuff. So here's what I was looking for. I was looking for an apartment that was thoroughly furnished. All right, refrigerator, oven, even microwave, uh, couches, table, because I had none of that stuff. If, if, if I had an apartment that had these things, then I could live my life. 
Otherwise, it was going to get very ugly uh, very quickly. Uh, And so we found an apartment thoroughly furnished. Everything was needed. What you have here is, is Scripture saying, because of the eternal covenant, God is giving to you, equipping to you everything that you need to do his will. Now, here's the problem. We don't want to do his will. That's the problem. We don't, when we live life outside of the purposes God has given to us, then there's going to be all types of frustrations. All right? But when the goal is no longer our personal comfort, but when our goal is God's eternal kingdom, when our goal is making disciples, following the king's path, there is going to be everything needed to do his will. And that frustration's over with. The problem that we have is following our shepherd. It's, it's kind of like taking that same analogy, someone always trying to row against me. Say, no, I don't want to go on that bank. I want to go on this bank because this bank just looks like it'd be better. And the shepherd's saying, no, if you go there, bad things are going to happen to you. We're constantly pulling against the tie, the covenant. When we follow his way, when Jesus is something that we become, that we seek with our heart, God gives what's needed, equipping you everything good that you may do his will. Now, what else is he doing? Well, we have a God who works in us. This is the part where I say batteries are included. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Now, this is a beautiful passage. Um, a lot of things that we've heard in the book of Hebrews have probably been challenging to us. I'm, I'm saying things like, if, if you are characterized by immorality in your sexual life, then there's a good chance you're not a follower of Christ. I'm saying things like that. That's people know. Oh, are you saying you can lose your salvation? No, no. I'm just saying you're probably not a believer. If you are characterized by not following Christ and you just are holding on to a profession of faith that you made at some point in your life, then I'm just bringing to your attention that you're deceiving yourself. Okay? Now, here's the good thing. When I'm saying these passages that are saying, look, you know, you, those who follow Christ are going to hold marriage precious. They're, they're going to stay with Christ. They're going to seek Him. I'm so telling you, according to this passage, God's going to work it in your heart to do that. He's not telling you something to do that he's not going to also work in your life to do. So that's the beautiful thing. And so we have a God who's working in this. And so even in chapter 12, when we realize in chapter 12, bad stuff might happen. I might get persecuted. Things could hurt me. I might get falsely accused. Life is not going to go according to how I want it to go. But in chapter 12, he says, you know what? It's okay because God the Father is working as a father to a son. And sometimes there's correction happening. And he's not really concerned about your comfort. He's more concerned about your holiness. Okay? And so he's going to allow things to happen to do that. So God's working in us could be in the fact that you lost your job. It could be in the fact that you've been publicly humiliated because some sin's been found out in your life. You know what? That's God working right there. Uh, It could be that uh, physically life is numbered for you and you just became aware of it. Or that of a loved one is numbered for you. It could be that God is doing these things so that God is wanting you to seek Him more than life, to seek holiness, to seek 
being Christ-like because in God's economy, that is infinitely more valuable than whether someone lives to be 80. Because what's the point of being 80 if you're not godly, if you're not having Christ in your life? What's the point of having a good day if there's not the godliness in it? And so in chapter 12, we learn he's going to do what it takes to get this to happen. And so he's working in us. He's working in us through Jesus Christ. And then why is he doing this? Why is he a God of peace? Why is he a death-conquering shepherd? Uh, Why is it that God is giving us what we need? Why is it he's working in us through Jesus Christ? Why are we tied with the eternal covenant? To whom be glory forever and ever. We have a God who has done all to eternally glorify Jesus Christ. He's working in that. Do you understand that everything in your life that God's going to work to the end to produce that effect. That when it's all said and done, and we're before God, and we look back on our life, and we say, God, I glorify you. I praise you. Because all these things have been working for this purpose. Now here's the real question we've got to ask ourselves. Is that enough? Is it enough that all your life is working to the glory of Jesus. Because here's the temptation. Is every once in a while we want people to glorify us. We want praise to be given to us. We want our desires, our comforts to be catered to. Every once in a while, I mean, really, is that too much to ask? It is if everything's been made for God. It is too much to ask if you're not worth it. And that's just the reality of it. We're not worth everything being catered to. Now, (laughs) this gets hard. Okay, because now I'm talking about family. I'm talking about marriage. Do you understand that marriage? Your wife isn't there to cater to you. And your husband isn't there to cater to you. Your children are not there to cater to you. Moms, dads, you're not there to cater to them. Okay, you see how I'm talking? This is a little hard. Church, we're not here here to cater to you. We're not here to cater to me. Well, if my spouse isn't here to cater to me, (laughs) who are they to cater to? To whom be glory forever and ever? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. When you as a parent understand that I exist to cater to Christ, when as children we exist to cater to Christ, when as a husband, as a wife, as church members, we exist to cater to Jesus Christ, To Him be all glory forever and ever. To understand that in everything that we are to be disciple makers, to teach people the great glory of following Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, it fundamentally changes how we think and the expectations that we have. You'll know what you're living for by what you're disappointed by. 
You know what you are living for by what you're disappointed by. What are the great disappointments in your life? Is it your spouse? Is it your children? Is it, are, are they your parents, perhaps? Maybe it's your job? Well, let me ask, what were you expecting by it? Chances are, in your disappointments, it's revealing what you're catering toward. So the Hebrew author is saying, this prayer, all that God has been doing, him being a shepherd, him rising from the dead, the fact that there's peace that God is giving to you, that there's the blood of eternal covenant. These things are not just so that you'll feel good about life. These things are not just so you'll find comfort and strength. These things are not just for that. We want the benefits of this. But we need to know the purpose. We have the eternal covenant. We have a resurrected Jesus. We have a great shepherd. We have the promises of God that God has given to us, everything that's needed. We have the very Spirit of God working in us so that we will bring glory to Jesus. So that's the real question. Church, are we doing that? Husbands, are you doing that? Wives, are you doing that? Parents, children, employees, supervisors, mothers, are these things we're doing for the glory of Christ? And so, he appeals to you, brothers, and bear this word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. In light of what he's talking about, yeah, yeah. It's pretty brief. In light of us talking about the magnitude of who Jesus is, we're going to take the rest of eternity to talk about that. So 48 minutes is brief. It's brief. Timothy's going to be released. We'll see him soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Now let me, if you will, since we have a little time, let me just address verse 17 for a little bit. We'll explain this further. This follows the idea of of what faithful and love does. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Outside of not loving money and maybe uh, keeping the marriage bed precious, this is probably... um, the hardest thing for us in America to get. I mean, just what kind of feelings are conjured up in your mind when, when we talk about obeying and submitting? Anybody say, yippee? Let's, let's roll. I'm ready for that. I mean, we're, we're founded on a nation that says, don't tread on me. <laughs> we're founded on a nation of rebellion to authority. I mean, that's, just, that's the root of where we come from. And yet, Scripture says... Obey and submit. And the idea of obeying your leaders and submitting to them isn't just agreeing. All right? The, the image of submitting implies that there's disagreement. And in disagreement, understanding that there's roles that God has placed in, in the church. Verse 17, I, I, I share this passage with folks that join our church in their one-on-one class and, and never fails just to challenge me to the core um, obey your leaders and submit to them why well because they're keeping watch over your souls that's the purpose of, of my job understanding i am not the great shepherd but i am one who god has tasked me with watching out for the souls of our church 
the soul of us as followers of Christ. And let me just state, if as a pastor God's calling me to that task, I'd like to know who I'm responsible for. Uh, And so when we ask for membership, I don't think we're asking much for folks to say, okay, will you commit to the principles of this church? Will you commit to the theology of this church? Will you commit to this? Because I want to at least know who I'm being held responsible for um, before God. And so for their keeping watch of your souls as those who will have to give an account, I would just say there's a price. There's a price paid if you want to lead the church are you willing to pay a price? A lot of times we, everybody wants to lead, but no one wants to pay the price, and I'm there with you. I would not say, yeah, let me, <laughs> let me be held to a stricter account by God. Um, we don't go that way except for the burning of God in our heart and our life. But here's what is important, and I will reiterate this to our deacons, Trevor, Mike, myself, those who are pastoral leaders, it is so important that we serve and we work with the idea and the expectation that God is holding us in account. That the day my heart stops beating will be the beginning of an accounting that God's going to do as I pastor this church. <laughs> That's a little sobering. But it is critical for us as pastors to be thinking that. Um, there's a heavy emphasis here on church members, followers of Christ, following the pastor. But it's balanced by a pastor who's not lording it over them as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 tells us, we're not to lord over authority. We're not to, to get our identity from that. We're not to uh, get satisfaction from that. We get satisfaction that our names are written in the book of life. Okay? We get satisfaction from Christ. And so when we have to make decisions that is done with the idea that this spiritual growth is at stake, and I, I just want to make this commitment to you as a church. Uh, that if, we have, if I have to make decisions, it is done with the idea that this is increasing our spiritual growth. Okay? And that is my invitation to you to challenge the decisions that are being made with that thought in mind. There are some scriptural instructions on how to challenge leaders. But with that thought in mind, is this producing spiritual growth in our lives? Can it be shown from the word of God that this is going to happen? That is my commitment to you as a pastor, for Mike, for Trevor, for any of the pastoral staff that is here. That's what we do together. Now, they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. All right. My motivation matters. My motivation matters. How many of you would be blessed if I 
were stirring out statements like, Sunday's coming. I got to preach again. Let me find something to preach. Let me find something to talk about. All right? Um, And I can assure you that this decision of going to one service wasn't so that I could just preach one time. I love preaching. I love preaching. All right? Um, So that's, that's not the motivation of this. But it would be no advantage to you if that was our mindset. Pastors, we don't talk bad about our church. Okay? There, I'm sure there's plenty of things that we could talk bad about, but there's plenty of things they can talk bad about us. All right? We are to be encouragers. We are to serve here because we want to, because it's a great joy to, it is a blessing to. And if we're not doing it, then we're not being a blessing to the flock here. Now, that being said, church membership, make it easier for them. Make it easier for them to do so with joy. That's the idea here. Submit, obey, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Um, there's no, no doubt that pastors who stay at churches for a long time, they find great effect and, and spiritual fruit in a church. And a church grows and prospers long when there's a pastor there for a long time. I shared with you some time ago, it was a concern of mine that there was a pastor that had not been here longer than six years. Um, I'm coming up on that in January. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so, but, you know, I've talked with dad about this. Dad is pastor now at a church, I think close on 34, 34 years. And uh, I was talking about that and he said, you know, Jared, you need to understand, it's not just the pastor. For, for churches to have pastors there for a long time, it's not just because of the pastor, um, of any wisdom that they're doing. It is a partnership between a church and the pastor uh, of a church that loves Jesus, seeks God, acts in wisdom, takes, takes seriously Hebrews 13 here of knowing the accountability of, of the man God places there, uh, knowing the job description of the man God places there, respecting that. Maybe if it's not just because of the person, they, they may like or dislike the pastor, but because of the position, that there is a respect that's, that's there. Um, a church that loves God will also love God's people. Um, and so there is a, what I'm presenting to you, is this in my heart? It's in my heart to stay? Um, every once in a while, I think because we're getting on those six years, everybody's starting to ask every time I go on, hey, are you preaching somewhere? You know, I'm, uh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not seeking that. I'm not. My heart's to be here. Um, the only exception would be if God calls me to mission field somewhere. But my heart's here. And I love to be here. And I've prayed, God, let me stay here as long as you, you let it be. Let, let it be somewhere where not just my family grows up, but I get to watch families grow up. Um, that we can minister together. That's my heart. 
Your heart is between you and God. But I would just present to you what Hebrews 13 says. Um, I'm taking this thing. This is a very personal text, but, you know, it's talking about something very personal between me and you and, and the pastors that are here. And I would just state this. The pastors that come here, Mike Griffin, Trevor Nell, um, they're pastors. It's not just respecting the guy who's teaching up here all the time. But it's respecting the pastors and their authority. And I've, you know, sometimes we, we may think, well, that's not, the, that's not the lead pastor, so I don't have to do this. No. They're pastors. They're here to teach the word of God. May they be men who have the motivation of being held accountable before God with this. May they be men who preach the word of God, teach the word of God. And, and Mike, Trevor, there is accountability among us. And there is full permission for you guys to hold me accountable. Uh, to question what we're doing, why we're doing it, making sure that I'm right before God, pure with Him. Um, I, I say this in the context of what's going down in Atlanta. Some of you watch the news and stuff, and you hear, you know, it's, it's frequent. Every year we're going to hear some, some pastor um, that's messed up. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not in Atlanta, uh, if that pastor's messed up. Um, but I don't want it to be a question. I don't want it to be a question. Did Jared mess up? Did Mike mess up? Did Trevor mess up? And so part of that is to prevent that is humility before one another. And that's why I say to you guys publicly, you can hold me account and ask me because I don't want it to be a question that this church has someone that will seek God in their life and that someone can examine the conduct of my life, of my faith, and years later be inspired by it, as Hebrews 13 tells us to do. So that's, that's our commitment. Um, that's our challenge to you. Um, deacons, keep that in mind. Uh, I'll talk about this more as we look at this two Sundays from now. Uh, let's just, well, let's have a time of invitation. I just want to invite you to seek God. And that's really what comes down to as pastors, as church members, that we seek God together. Seek Christ together. Understanding the eternal tie that we have, that we have the blood, the eternal blood of Jesus Christ and the covenant given to us. We have a great shepherd over us who is uh, overcome death. Uh, we've got a lot of things going good for us. And it really doesn't matter what Nightdale, what the state, what the country, what the world may say against us. Because greater is he who is for us than he is against us. So let us go boldly throughout this world, throughout this earth, being ambassadors for Christ.